us. Psalm 45. Uh-oh. To the choir master, according to the lilies, a mescal of the sons of Korah, a love song. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, Almighty One, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The people fail, uh, excuse me, fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of righteousness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes, cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in golden ophir. Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor and gifts. With gifts, the richest of people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber, with robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes, she is led to the king, with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness, they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Art. Paul, will you pray over us, please? Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, as Art has read your word this morning, we are reminded of several wonderful truths. One is that you're a God who loves righteousness, and you are holy, and you delight in humility. You're a God of great majesty, and you are the one to whom we come to worship. But we also come, Lord God, to confess to you that without Christ we have no worthiness by which to present ourselves before you. It is you and you alone who have brought us into relationship with you not by our own might or by our own will, but by your Spirit. You have accomplished in us what no amount of our own works could accomplish. We rejoice, Lord God, that you are willing 
to pay the price for our sin and give to us your imparted righteousness. For in our own efforts, we earn nothing. We come before you with nothing but an acknowledgement of our complete and total dependence upon you. And in that we rejoice because what better place to put our confidence than in you? What surer foundation can there be? What stronger tower from which to fight the battle of this world's evil than from the tower of your righteous holiness? So Lord God, give us this day what we need in order to be men and women who are willing to sacrifice anything and everything that is needed in order that your glory and your kingdom be advanced. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we continue our catechism, we'll continue with where we left off last week, catechism number 32. What do justification and sanctification mean? And we'd like to say our answer together, so join me. Justification means our declared righteousness before God, made possible by Christ's death and resurrection for us. Sanctification means our gradual growing righteousness made possible by the Spirit's work in us. Our short answer, justification means our declared righteousness before God. And sanctification means our gradual growing righteousness. Our scripture this morning in 1 Peter 1, 1-2, I will read. To those who are elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other found I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What? can make me whole again nothing but the blood of Jesus oh precious is the flow that makes me white as
nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as saying, I will wait for you. Till my soul is satisfied. 
so put your hope in God alone. Take courage in his power to save. Come Christ emerging from the grave. I will wait for you, I will wait for you. On your word I will rely. I will wait for you, surely wait for you, till my soul is satisfied. Father, you are the king, an awesome God. Thank you, Lord, for this perfect day that you've made for us. Lord, you are Jehovah Jireh, providing all things for us. Thank you for this opportunity to worship. God, we, we thank you for your... <clears throat> 
great grace on us today and every day, and um, especially your grace on Dan, our brother Dan. Thank you, Father, that he is with us and healing and doing well. Thank you for your strength for him and for Teresa. Father, thank you for your amazing word that you bring by way of Dan and today from Paul. Thank you for their faithful preaching and teaching. Help us, Lord, this morning to understand your word and to remember it. And Father, especially to obey it. So, Father, thank you for today, for this wonderful opportunity for your grace on us. We pray your blessing on our worship this morning and on our day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Because it's the wrong button. <laughs> All right. You know, I was fine this morning until Dan came in. And I told him to come in at the last minute so I wouldn't see him. But he just couldn't stand it. Because <laughs> um, he's the one that should be preaching this sermon, not me. But it is not... what the Lord had planned. I want you just to take a minute and, and let me pray. Father, I'm, I know what's going on inside my heart. The love for my brother overwhelms me. But I ask you to enter in and give me the strength to speak the words that you have given. And I do believe that you have given these words. And I ask, Lord God, that any of the words that I have written here that do not bring you honor and glory and are not, Lord God, precisely what you would have them to be, that you erase them from my mind and let me not see them in my notes. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be, Lord God, such that you alone are glorified. I thank you for the privilege of speaking from this pulpit your word, this pulpit where your word has been proclaimed faithfully for years and years and years. An amazing blessing the measure of which will never be fully known, but surely reaches into the very heaven above as the influence of your word has changed lives and as the love that has sustained us has given us the courage 
to keep on keeping on. You alone are God, and you alone are worthy of all praise and glory and honor. And may that be yours today as the result of our time of worship. Calm my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the elder board met on Monday night in kind of an emergency sort of meeting, um, trying to figure out what to do. And it was decided there that the topic of today's message, the 32nd Catechism, was way too important for us just simply to skip. So they um, decided, we decided, that I would back up and preach the message that Dan started to preach last week. Not his message. Don't, don't expect that. Um, this is my voice, and these are my words, and any mistakes are mine. But the 32nd Catechism question deals with two very different and really quite huge topics and truths. And I have to admit to you, after Monday, when I was beginning to get my composure again, I, I felt a little bit of panic, thinking that I just had a few days to try to prepare a message to deal with both justification and sanctification in 30 minutes. When the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of Holy Spirit, took 16 chapters, I get 30 minutes. Well, you know I always take a little more than that, but it won't be 16 chapters worth, I guarantee you. But you know what? As I studied, it became very clear to me that you really must deal with both of these topics together because either one of them alone is so quickly um, turned to error. And I hope you will see that as I go through um, the notes that I have today. But I have to warn you ahead of time. You need to fasten your seatbelts. We're going to run at about 100 miles an hour, and it's going to be somewhat of a bumpy road. I just warn you ahead of time. But I want you to turn to Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 28. You will notice it is not on the screen. You have pew Bibles in front of you. Please take them. Romans chapter 3. I will begin reading in verse 19. And I will read through the 28th verse. I'll give you a second to get there. Romans 3, 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward 
as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. May the Lord bless the reading of that word. I want to dig into this passage a bit. It is really a very, very important passage of Scripture that we understand as believers. There is enormous truth here, and I don't have time to cover all of what's there, and I'm not certain anyone has ever covered all of the truth that is found here in Romans 3. But there are at least some things that I think it's important we pay attention to, and the first is is that purpose of the law. The why of justification is really what I'm talking about. And there are at least four purposes that I see. And I say at least because I'm confident I don't see them all. The first purpose that I see is in verse 19. The law speaks so that our mouths may be stopped. That's an interesting place to begin. But you see, we tend to be a people who are self justifiers. And the law shuts our mouths. When all we're seeing is our own reflection in our own mirror, under our own light, we make the argument, I'm okay. I'm not bad. I'm fine. And that's simply a lie. Because the law of God does what? It declares us guilty. It doesn't ask the question, are you guilty? It simply says, you are guilty. Here's the standard of God's law, and here's where you are. You didn't meet it. You're guilty. And the second purpose is in verse 19 also. The law provides accountability to the lawgiver, God. And it provides that accountability for the whole world. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. Nobody escapes the authority of God and the laws he has ordained. Even if you don't believe in him, or you think you're okay, or you have no knowledge of the law, or you think it's old school or tyrannical, it really doesn't matter. It really does not matter what you think. Now, I know in today's world, that's not a very popular thing for me to say, but it is the truth. And Romans 1 says that. For men are without excuse. For what can be known about God was plain to them since the creation of the world. Namely, his righteousness and his holiness. These are things that are clearly seen in the things that God has created. So nobody escapes. God's law stands in judgment, whether we like it, or not. And then the righteous judge pronounces the penalty, death. 
there is only one penalty. You don't get a graded justice. It's not that your good works, however good you might think they are, offset your bad works, and therefore you get a lesser sentence. There is only one sentence, and that sentence is death. And then verse 20 kind of puts it all really again in perspective. It says, nobody keeps the law. So if you doubted me, just go there. But the law is meant to provide, isn't meant to provide justification. And yet that's exactly what we try to use it for. We try to gain justification by keeping the law. It has been in the heart of man to attempt to do that since the law was first given. That was one of the things Jesus preached so much about. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. You're trying to fulfill the law without the necessary ability to fulfill the law. You're hopeless and helpless. It wasn't just a Jewish problem. Trying to keep the law in order to gain God's favor, in fact, stretches across the planet into every culture and into every religion. Now, sometimes those religions have no understanding or knowledge of the true God, but nonetheless, what they're trying to do is gain the favor of whatever God they think by good works. And God's word proclaims that to be a worthless effort. But then there's a, thir a third purpose of the law, and that is in verse 20. The law provides us the knowledge of sin. Now, the law stands whether we know it or not, but one of the purposes God gave the law was so that we could see our sin, so that we could see our sin and understand our total depravity. Without the law, we're still guilty. We just have no way of knowing it other than creation. We, we know something's wrong, but we don't quite understand what. And then there's a fourth purpose in verse 21. And that purpose is to manifest the righteousness of God, to make the righteousness of God known. Without the law, we can't understand God's own righteousness. It is unknowable. The law did this prior to Christ through a contrast. All right? This is God's law. This is you. Clearly there's a problem. But through Christ suffering death, burial, and resurrection, it is done through provision, not contrast. He has provided for us. His propitiation, which I will leave for you to study on your own time. I don't have time to cover that big word, um, but I would encourage you. It is an important word, and you should understand its meaning. But the second thing I want you to know, not just the four purposes of the law, but I want you to see that justification is, in fact, a legal term. Um, and Paul uses it very purposely, precisely for this reason. Because his topic is law versus grace. And you have to understand law in order to understand grace. 
And so Paul spends a great deal of time helping and fleshing that out in this wonderful um, book. He uses the one, I want you to notice one other thing. He uses the word justification. He does not use the word exonerated or exoneration, and he does not use the word vindication or to vindicate, and I'll explain that in a minute. For now, let's talk about the legal process. The legal process of justification even happens today. A guilty person, not a person accused of being guilty, but a guilty person is presented before a judge. And nobody disputes the guilt. There's no defense attorney. The guilty person simply stands before the judge for a sentence. That's what he's there for. But the judge, in the case of justification, declares that, that person is justified. In other words, no longer owing the debt that he could not pay. Because someone else has paid that debt for him. That is the beauty. And thank you, Art. That needed an amen. Not guiltless but without any more condemnation from the law. See, once justified, the law no longer has any right to make any condemnation. It's done. It's over with. It is finished. Christ has paid the debt. The law's demands have been satisfied by Christ. Christ has done this for us. He paid the debt we could never pay with his own blood. That deserved an amen. Third, I want you to know what justification is not, because this is where we get confused sometimes. Justification is not exoneration. Now, exoneration is a de declaration that we never sinned, or that the charges brought against us were false. To be exonerated means that the charges were shown to be false. Justification has nothing to do with exoneration because we are not only assumed guilty, we are proved guilty by the law of God. And justification is also not vindication. Vindication would say that the sin or the charge against me was explainable. It was understandable or excusable. I'm vindicated. We use it in terms of like justified hom justifiable homicide. It's that same sort of usage. So vindication has nothing to do with justification. You know, we tend to think of justification in the way I was taught it as a kid, in this word. You, you know what justification means by this little ditty, just as if I'd never sinned. And that is not a good biblical definition of justification. And here's why. Justification never declares that I had no guilt. Quite the opposite. Justification confirms my guilt. And that there was a debt so huge, I couldn't personally pay it. Justification recognizes and confirms the guilt we bear as the accused. The charges against us are totally accurate. We are sinners. 
We are lawbreakers. And the penalty we get is just. It's not unjust. It's the right and just deserts of what our actions, our thoughts, our being have earned for us. Again, if you doubt that, go back to Romans 1 and study Romans 1. And it's very, very clear. And then look here in verse 23. A verse most of us memorized in, in a kids' club or Bible school or wherever. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The word all implies nobody's left out of that little formula. It is true of all of us. So it's not being vindicated. That is, what I did was justifiable. And it's not being exonerated. I never did it. It's being justified. I did it. But thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, I don't have to live under that, that commendation any longer. And verse 20 says it again, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified. And verse 24, Justified by his grace as a gift. It's like he walked into the courtroom and we were standing before the throne of God and he said, here's my gift. I'm paying his debt. And he paid your debt just as well as he did mine. That, that ought to cause us to fall to our knees in worship. It ought to call forth from us humility, a humble obedience to the Christ who would pay such a price for us. That's the right response. But I get ahead of myself. Justified through Christ and Christ alone, and it's received by faith alone, through grace alone. Now, I know this will probably bore some of you, but I, I, I find it enriching. So, there is a Greek word here, translated justified, and it's a very powerful word, but the power of it comes in the form of the verb. It is in what's called the present passive participle. Now, I know, what the heck does that mean and who gives a crud about it? I, I do. It means this, present passive participle. It means that it happened in the past, our justification. It is happening in our present, and it happens forever. It has no ending. It is justification once for all eternity. That is marvelous. And it is something to be pondered. It's continuous action, never lost. In exactly the same way it happened to me, it happens to you. For exactly the same amount of time, forever. Forever. That's why I can still live knowing what I did. Because I know that that justification is sure and complete and has an eternal effect. And quite honestly, once you're justified, can't be backed away from. It's a final decision. So once you know Christ, you are justified. And once you're declared justified, you can never again declare unjustified or guilty. How is it that I keep having to say to you, I need an amen? 
shouldn't you be jumping out of your seats and rejoicing over that? Am I not being clear? Honestly, never again to stand before the throne of a holy, righteous, just God who had every reason to condemn me. And he didn't. That's phenomenal. The why of God justifying us is in verse 25b. It says to show God's righteousness. You see, even in all that he's done for me, it is because he wants his righteousness known. And this, this is the way he chose to make that happen. That his righteousness and his alone would be shown and that he would be shown to be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. No man gets to boast. Verse 27 says it again. No man gets to boast. Our boasting is excluded. Why? Because it all depends on God who justifies. All of it depends on him. Praise be to God and his Christ forever and ever. So then, what then is sanctification? I want you to turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in verse 15. And we're going to read through verse 23. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one whom you obey, either a sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from those from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. And it's in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Our catechism answer says sanctification means our gradual and growing righteousness made possible by the Spirit's work in us 
there are two words that we really need to pay attention to in that definition, and that is the word gradual and the word growing. Things that are alive grow. Things that are alive grow. They don't just pop up totally full bloom. They grow. And brothers and sisters, we need to give each other forbearance. Because we each grow. Some of us in soil that desperately needs some fertilizer. And some of us in soil that's got so much fertilizer that we're just kind of burning up. But we all must grow. And we have life because of the life of Christ. Now that's extra. That's not in my notes. Justification comes at a moment in time, once for all, and goes on for eternity. Sanctification begins at a point in time, the point of our justification, and continues gradually over time. A biblical dictionary definition of the word is simply to be set aside for divine use. It is the same word, hagimos, hagiosmos, which means to be made holy. It's the same word. But we translate it sanctified or sanctification because that better captures for us a process. And we're less likely to get confused, I think. But there are many translations that translate sanctification as holiness or holy. It means, the word itself in the Greek means, the activity of the Holy Spirit to set man apart unto salvation and that his enabling power within us helps us to live out our lives for Christ's glory. If you think back to the Old Testament, we, and, I, and I think a lot of the Old Testament is meant by God to help us to see his holiness and the demands of that holiness and how it isn't compromisable. But you see that in, in, even in the sacrifices, there is a setting apart. There is a giving over. Um, at times that means the death of some animal it mean, in the sacrificial system. At other times it means the giving up of something um, in a vow, a personal sacrifice of some kind, or a fasting. It's a giving up. The main point is that it's a giving up of something that you value. How often are we giving up things we value for the name of Christ? How often am I doing that? Sanctification is withdrawing from fellowship with the world by first gaining fellowship with God through justification by faith alone. But it is not a withdrawal from the world. That's an important little distinction there. It is a withdrawal from fellowship with the world. In other words, I don't embrace all the things the world embraces. You must not. We must not. 
We must be a people different, and at times very odd. And we're getting to be even odder and odder to the culture we live in, to the world we live in. People don't like odd. If you've ever been around someone who um, has some mental um, lack of capacity, it's difficult at times. If they have a physical disability, it can be difficult at times. Why? Because we're simply uncomfortable with something that isn't, quote, normal. That may not be the best illustration in the world, but it, it is true that we are more comfortable with what we consider to be normal than we are with what we consider to be odd. And the world is uncomfortable with us right now. And it's just going to keep going in that direction. And we need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And we need to rejoice in the fact that we're odd. That doesn't mean we do like the guy in Graham's been doing this last week, walking down the street naked. Um, I don't get it. That's not the odd that we're talking about. So let's not go crazy. But it is a separation from the things of the world. I asked at last week's Q&A, which I apologize for. I'm sure that it was very confusing and not the kind of meeting it should have been. But um, I will blame it on my emotions um, and being less than 100% present. Um, it, it, it's, I lost my point. Oh, Tom is the right kind of crazy. <laughs> now I get the amen. <laughs> All right. I don't know where I was going, but I'm going to back up. But it does mean that we choose things that are different from the world. And at the meeting, now I got my point back. I said, I asked a question. How much time do you spend in front of the TV? How much time do you spend in front of your tablets, your cell phones, the movie theater? How much time? Just add up the time. I'm not saying the time is right or wrong. I'm just saying add it up in your mind. How much time do you spend on social media? How, many time, how much time do you spend texting? How much time do you spend in any of these things? Add them up. Just in your head, do not confess out loud. And then ask the opposing question, how much time do you spend meditating on God's word? Now, every one of us should be a little bit pricked by that question. Because I guarantee you, in the world in which we live, we spend a whole lot more time on the internet and in social media and on the television and in the newscast and all of these things than we do in the Word of God. There are distractions. And so what I'm talking about is not fellowshipping with the world in that sense. We must learn to turn those things off and put them in their proper place. We don't throw them out the window. I'm going to tell on myself. <laughs> I'm looking at Mary for permission. Um, there was a time 
in our marriage and in my spiritual growth. When the Lord drove this point very clearly home to me, the television was way too important. And I knew that I had to give that up. And so I physically destroyed our television. Physically destroyed it. Now, that would have been good. But then a few months later, I went out and bought another one. And then I destroyed it, too. So we were without one for many years. Um, and it really benefited us as a couple and me as an individual. And, and now we have one in the home again. And I've learned to turn it off rather than break it. But even still, the two of us were just talking about this recently. We must guard our time. It sneaks up on you. And before you know it, you've spent hours in front of that thing when you had a 30-minute quiet time. That's out of balance. Not from a legal sense. Sanctification has nothing to do with the law. It isn't because thou shalt not watch TV, use a tablet, go on the internet, do social media. It is none of those as thou shalt not. It is out of a heart of gratitude. Where do I want to spend my time? When I have a quiet moment and I have the word of God with me, why am I not curling up in that comfortable chair and just reading it? with relish, wanting to be there because the things of the world press in. So we have to learn in sanctification out of a heart of gratitude to put those things aside and to spend our time on what's important, most important. Paul said, I die daily. I wonder if that's true of my own life. And I want to make just a couple more points. Sanctification is never a mere moral improvement or a bootstrap pulling yourself up. It's never that. It flows from Christ as it does. It is, as, it is the imparted righteousness of sanctification. It gives us no more ground for boasting than the imputed righteousness of justification. For though they affect us in different ways, both of them, ultimately, they come from another, and that is Christ, not from us. So even if we could honestly boast about all the hard work we've done and all the great things we've done for the kingdom of God, a truly sanctified person wouldn't. They would say, as Paul did in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, and again in 23, yet it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Because none of this is possible without the Spirit of God. You can't work yourself up enough to make sanctification happen. It is because of our union with Christ Sanction, sanctification is never optional. It results from justification. If you are justified, you will be growing in sanctification. 
It isn't optional. And sometimes I think we think it is. Well, I don't need the fellowship of believers. What good are they to me? What good are you to them is the question. I don't need to be in the Word of God. I studied it as a kid. Really? Really? What was the intent of 2 Timothy? You see, there's, there's little ways if we're really wanting to evaluate and get a handle on this whole concept that we can ask our questions to ourselves. I can't answer them or ask them for you. Justification and sanctification always go together because Jesus never gives one without the other. Never gives one without the other. Christ, the whole of Christ, is the unifying factor in both. There is no sanctification without Christ. There is no justification without Christ. Christ in all. He's the only safeguard. Hebrews 10.14 is a magnificent verse. In very few short words, Paul captures the difference between justified and sanctified. And this is what he says. By a single offering... He's referring to Christ. He, God, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And that's present active indicative. Being sanctified. Perfected for all time, justified. Being sanctified. It's, it's a beautiful verse. And then in Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by this new, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you not see the day drawing near? The day is drawing near. Even if it's far away, it's nearer today than it was yesterday. Because its arrival is sure. Because of the one who has dictated its arrival. So what we are about is resting in the beauty and the magnitude of this justification by grace, a gift given freely to people who didn't deserve it and could never deserve it. But that justification comes with sanctification through the Holy Spirit. And that is not a one-time act. That is a continual state of being until we see his 
Christ is all and Christ is in all. And we must give glory to Christ as the only begotten Son of the Father. Let's pray. Father, I don't know if anything I said really made any sense. I trust that you who make sense out of my brokenness can make sense out of these words and impart them to the lives of these people as you are doing to me. Thank you, Lord God. I never saw how critically important it was until this week to talk about justification and sanctification at the same time. If all I talk about is justification, Lord, I, I get so prideful. My sin is gone. I've been redeemed. And I forget that out of the gratitude of my heart for the price that you have paid, I want to walk worthy of you by the power of your sanctifying spirit within me because I know I have no hope in attaining any of that without your work within me. You are God of gods and Lord of lords and King of kings. There is no other. No throne exists except those that you have put in place and you will bring them all down when you take all authority back to yourself. And we await that day with anxiousness. Not a, not a wearisome or fearful anxiousness, but with an expectation, Lord God, that says, no matter what today holds, your coming is not delayed. You are the bridegroom. We are your bride. Help us to prepare for your coming through the sanctifying work of your spirit. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Now, before we sing our final song, Dan has asked to come up and share something with us. Um, and so, Dan, you can come up at this point. All right, is this mic on? God's good. Uh, all the time, God is good. No, I'm not resigning. So, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so I, I told Paul that I would stay to the script. Um, uh, so most of you are aware that uh, last uh, Sunday uh, I did have a stroke. And uh, it wasn't because I was preaching on this topic. Uh, I, we are so grateful that, uh, that God has justified us. Amen? Amen. Amen. So um, what, some of you, what some of you don't know is that I do have a blood disorder. And, um, and, that, and that, this blood disorder makes my body make too many platelets or too much blood. And it's called uh, polycythemia. And it is a blood cancer. So uh, um, I have been uh, taking oral chemo uh, for the last 17 years, trying to uh, uh, control that. And it has worked very well up to this point. Um, 
And uh, so, but when the blood gets thick, it can cause hypertension and blood pressure. And, uh, and that which uh, can lead to multiple strokes, which um, the doctor said that I had this last week. So um, I've been, uh, Teresa and I have been told that, uh, that my body, if my body keeps ramping up uh, on the reproduction of red blood cells, that it could change to leukemia. And uh, we will be looking uh, to the doctors for, um, for more options as we, as we move along. So, uh, Teresa and I just want to say we, that we uh, do covet your prayers, and uh, uh, go for it. <laughs> we wrote it out because he's, like, trying to keep it all going yeah. and, and not get emotional. So, um, um we don't have all the answers right now, and we're not going to have them, but mm. we expect to have them real soon. And, um, yeah. Oh, yeah, am I not in the right spot? Maybe I could get this thing going. Turn me up, Josh. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, so um, I we don't have all the answers right now, and we expect to get quite a lot of answers pretty soon. Um, so they're just checking us every week, or him every week. And uh, pretty soon they're going to be checking me because my heart's like, wow, <laughs> you know. But, um, but just the same, um, we're confident that, um, that uh, we can be stepping forward and, and going forward. So we'll, we'll see what happens. We will be letting you guys know everything. And uh, God has just carried us this week. And it yeah. has been amazing to watch all of his miracles. So thank you. Um, we want to encourage all of you to walk with us in, in the word from, um, from Paul that says, Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. So you never know. I always say that when something happens, it just gives you more opportunities to meet more people that God wants you to witness to. So. Um, we're in that boat right now, and it's not fun, but it's there. So, so uh, thank you. We may not be around all the time this next month, but we will be um, working on things, and we will be letting you know what happens from here. Okay. And in the meantime, I just have to say this from me personally: it's, we need people to step up and do things like turn on the lights, turn off the lights. Um, lock the doors. Lock the doors. Yeah. There's a lot that Dan and I just automatically do and don't ever think of even asking anybody to do. Um, but there's a lot of different little tasks. So um, everybody's responsible. You're all part of this place. So thank you. Amen. <laughs> and you can stop crying. And I can't <laughs> stop crying. <laughs> I've tried. Well, <laughs> thank you. That's that's really good. What I, we are going to sing a final song, but before we do that, I want you to know that the elder board again met last Monday, and we decided to place Dan and Teresa on a sabbatical for four weeks. We'll evaluate at the end of that four weeks what the next step is.
um, but we are not abandoning them. Nor are we pushing them out. <laughs> We're going to stand with this couple who has stood with us all these years. And we're going to walk through this valley, no matter how dark it gets, together as a congregation. We will do our utmost to keep you informed of what we know. And we will try to keep you from worrying about what we don't know. Um, When Gail and I were here Monday, the phone just didn't stop ringing. And it was beautiful. Um, we All of the churches in the area, every pastor in the area reached out. Um, it was like this wildfire of information was passing through the community. And every one of them reached out. And we had people reaching out from all over the country and all over the world, um, wanting to pray, wanting to be kept informed in how to pray. Um, so we're still working through the details of what it means to have Dan and Teresa gone for four weeks. They've been gone for two weeks. That's hard enough. Thank you very much. Uh, but being gone for four weeks, I know, no, I mean, previously when you've been on vacation, it only seems like an eternity this week. Um, but that's where we're at. We need to give Dan an opportunity to heal. Um, and Teresa, an opportunity to stay healthy, and to deal with the issues that come up each day. So let's, I I would like very much for us to pray. And I would like very much to open that up for any of you that would like to pray. If you're going to pray, please stand to do so. So, And speak as loudly as you can so we all hear. And then, Tom, will you close and then lead us in a... I think we won't need a song today. Okay. I, I think praying is a perfect way to go. All right. You don't think we need a little cheering up after? We're fine. All right. All right. Uh, go ahead. Yes, sir.
that the strength in steadfast faithfulness that we see in Dan and Teresa is just a reflection of you. Thank you, Father, for a reflection in our lives. And we pray into these coming weeks, your hand in peace, in grace, in courage, strength, and rest for Dan and Teresa. Father, time is in your hands. You know all things. And we're grateful that we can come and pray to you. We lift them up in Jesus' precious name.